today I want to share with you um, a message that's going to probably focus on one of the most controversial passages in all of Scripture. Maybe it's even wrecked some havoc in your heart and on your life. And today I want you to walk out of here with confidence. Confidence that God is faithful. That his salvation is secure. And that he calls you to walk in confidence. Amen? And so I'm going to tell you the truth right from the beginning. There's not going to be a whole lot of clever illustrations, funny stories, pastor doing this or that, or, or you know, just bringing it in in this, this, this really artistic, creative way. It's just going to be pure, old-fashioned Bible reading and Bible teaching. Is that okay with you? Is that okay in a day and age when everybody wants to get cute with the gospel, we're just going to go old school? If that's all right with you, then join me as we cover Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And over the next three or four hours, as I have you here, we're going <laughs> to... See, some of you who are new are going, is, is that true? Is that true? No, I literally, they're going to put my time up here in a minute. And uh, I've, I've got about 30, 35 minutes to share with you the truth about Hebrews chapter 10. But before I take you to Hebrews chapter 10, I want to remind our church and kind of catch you up. We've been in the middle of a message entitled worship and talking about connecting with God. And we use the Old Testament to do it. We went through Exodus and we were in Leviticus last week. And we talked about the different offerings. Because in the New Testament, the Bible says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to present yourself as a living, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. This is your act of worship. And we said that in the Old Testament, there were six offerings. In the New Testament, there's a seventh offering. Now, this is significant because six is the number of incompletion. It's specifically the number of man. How many of you know we're incomplete until we're completed by Jesus? And so six is the number. There were six offerings in the book of Leviticus that were incomplete. They were insufficient. They were lacking something. What were they lacking? They were lacking its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus, now I'm going to say things really quick, but I know I, I have faith in you can keep up and we can, we can do this. So Jesus comes and he says, I did not come to what abolish the law. That means do away with it to render it null and void. I came to fulfill it. I'm the seventh. I'm the completion. That's why when he was dying on the cross as the seventh ultimate complete offering of the Lord, he said it is finished. It's complete. It's done. Once and for all, I've done it. And so I want you to think about the Old Testament day of atonement. Because ultimately, the day of atonement that finished it once and for all was the day that Jesus Christ died on Calvary 2,000 years ago for you and for me. Now, the Day of Atonement was different from the other offerings. How so? The Day of Atonement took place only one time a year. The other offerings were done uh, routinely. Routinely, they were done over and over and over and over. The Day of Atonement was very specific on a specific day of the year. Why? because it ultimately represented that Jesus Christ would come and die once, not many times, once. Also that he would die in the fullness of time. Not just any random time, but the time that God had prescribed before the foundation of the world. 
Also on that specific day, the priest would do it all himself. Why is this significant? Stay with me on this guys. Because on every other offering, I told you that the people would come and participate along with the priest. As a matter of fact, they would do sometimes over 50% of the offering was done by the priests, by the different priests and the participants or the worshipers. But on the day of atonement, listen to me very closely, only the high priest would do it would do not just part of the ritual, but the entire ritual. Can I tell you? Because Jesus Christ would come and he would be the ultimate high priest and no one else would help him. He would have to do it alone. How do we know he did it alone? Do you remember in Gethsemane when he prayed and he asked his disciples to pray with him? They started to fall away, fall asleep. And one by one, even Peter, his closest disciple denied him and he went to the cross by himself. So all of this is symbolism pointing from the Old Testament to the New Testament where Jesus would fulfill and be the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me. You say, well, how else? Well, in the Old Testament, Aaron, the high priest, was the first high priest. He would wear what was known as the golden attire of the priest. He had this beautiful ornate robe and this beautiful breastplate with with gems and all of these things. But on the day of atonement, listen to me very closely, he would take off all of that, divest himself of all of his robes and his fancy wear, and he would go into the holiest of holiest, completely covered in the humble linen attire of a priest. You go, but how does this represent Jesus Christ? Well, in Philippians chapter two, the Bible says that Jesus Christ took off his heavenly robes. He put on the robe of humanity. He humbled himself and he came and died for you and for me on a cross. A humble death. So it talks about Jesus in every single way. And that's where we pick up. With that background, we pick up in Hebrews chapter 10. Now stay with me on this because we're gonna get to that very controversial verse that I'm sure has wrecked havoc in your life because the the enemy uses verses like this to have you doubt, to capture you and to take you prisoner, to wreck your confidence But when there's a verse like this, you can be sure that when you unlock its deep, rich meaning, it will flower in your life. It will bring about resurrection. Amen. So stay with me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse one, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. So the law was a shadow. When you see a shadow on the ground, you know that there's something causing that shadow. So the law was pointing to that something and that was Jesus Christ. That was coming. Now watch this. Not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? So he's asking a very important question. If they were sufficient, why did they have to keep doing it? Because they were lacking something. They were incomplete. What completes them? Watch this. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilt for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. 
They remind you that you need something. What is it that you need? You need a savior. You need a savior. Watch what it says in verse four. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and of goats to take away sins. The Old Testament cannot save you. The sacrifices of bulls and rams and sheep and whatever they were sacrificing have no power, none. They only point to the one who does. Now I need you to stay with me on this because day after day, the Bible says, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. That is also prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus from Psalms. But the Bible is literally saying, these priests constantly were sacrificing, doing all of these things in the Old Testament that we've been reading about. But one priest, Jesus, the high priest, comes and once for all time takes care of it. That's what he's saying. But watch this. Verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That means through his sacrifice, he is changing us. He is making us into the likeness of him. God the Father is making us and transforming us into the likeness of his son. I need you to pay very close attention to me on this. Because what I'm sharing with you here is the truth of the gospel message. That when you come into saving grace, you come in the way you are, but God doesn't leave you there. He transforms you. And day by day, you become more and more knowledgeable. You become more and more aware. And you become stronger. And you walk in your faith. And you walk out your faith. We're going to talk about this, but keep that thought right here from the beginning. And it takes faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. Watch this. In the Old Testament, they looked forward in faith. We look back in faith. And Calvary stands at the pinnacle of all of human history. And Jesus' blood flows down both sides, saves them the same way it saves us. By faith, through grace. Amen through grace. You say, what does that mean? It means you put your faith, your trust, and you believe the word of God. You believe the word of God. You say, okay, get to the verse, pastor. All right, let's get there. Let's get to verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, mark that word confidence in your heart. Confidence. Now think about what we've been talking about. You step forward in faith, Whenever that was, for me, it was at nine years old. But at nine years old, I don't know. I didn't know then what I know now. I had a nine-year-old's understanding and knowledge of the truth. But I stepped forward in faith. And every year I grew in my knowledge. How many of you know that the knowledge you have today will not be the same as a year from now? You are being revealed more and more and more of God's goodness. So stay with me on this. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Okay, well, what is he talking about here? I'll, I'll, make it, I'll make it clear in just a second. Verse 20, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith, Listen to this. 
that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, you go, what is he talking about here? He's talking about the Old Testament, how Jesus Christ fulfills it. In the holiest of holiest, the high priest would put on that linen garment, humble himself, and he would go into behind the curtain where the Ark of the Covenant was, and he would sprinkle there the blood. And only he could enter. But now there he's saying, because of Jesus, you can enter. Have confidence. Know who you are in Christ. Know what Resurrection Sunday means for you. We talked about last week that on the day he resurrected, the day that it was done, the day, or the day that he presented the sacrifice, God ripped the curtain in the temple from top to bottom, indicating from his point of view, no longer is there a barrier between you and him. And through the blood of Jesus, you can go into the throne of the most high God and in and make your petitions known. You say, okay, pastor, I'm getting it. Okay, read with me, verse 23. We're getting to the verse. Let us hold unwavering to the hope we profess. For, we, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Uh-oh. You say, that's it, is that, the, is that the, 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 the verse? No, we're not there yet, but that's controversial nowadays. You got one little virus and everybody stops meeting together. Someone ought to tell foundation that. Cause we're, we're here, aren't we? We're here, aren't we? No, listen, this is not a suggestion from your king. This is a commission, keep meeting together. I don't care what happens, meet together. You need one another to spur each other on to confidence, to confidence. You cannot be confident walking by yourself. Now watch this, as some are in the habit of doing after COVID. No, I didn't say that. But, <laughs> but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. As Jesus Christ's day of return gets closer, it's gonna be more necessary to meet together. Now here's the verse. And if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no, sin, no sacrifice for sin is left. Oh, whoa. Whoa, I had no idea that. Oh, yeah. Why do you think God has me dealing with this? Read it with me. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we received the knowledge of the truth. What does that mean, the knowledge of the truth? Well, after you know about Jesus. What knowledge? Nine-year-old knowledge? 15-year-old knowledge? 30-year-old knowledge? 40-year-old knowledge? This is getting scary. Pastor, I didn't show up on Easter Sunday to get condemned. Good, because I'm not going to condemn you. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Amen? So stay, stay with me on this. Listen, there is no sacrifice for sin that is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. That will consume the enemies of God. What does this mean? Better yet, let's ask what doesn't it mean? 
What doesn't it mean? Before you can find out what something means, sometimes you gotta know what it doesn't mean, right? Before you can know what something is, it's nice to know what it isn't, right? And so it's kind of like the lady that called up the animal control and was insistent to know what kind of dog was in her yard. And the animal control officer says, well, it must be a, uh, a labradoodle. She says, okay, thank you, hangs up. Well, how does he know? Because she didn't know, how does he know? It would have been helpful to know what it wasn't, right? Before they could guess on what it was. So for me, I want to share with you what is Paul not saying in this verse? How many of you want to know what is it that he's not saying? Well, let's just take it right at face value. Is he saying, because it seems to be saying that once you have knowledge of the truth, if you sin, you lose your salvation and you're done, out of the game. But if he's saying that, then he's contradicting other scripture. And scripture is supposed to be what? Interpreted by scripture. How do we know this? We also know that the enemy can use scripture to confuse and lead astray. And this part of scripture has been used many ways and many times by enemy to lead astray young Christians, Christians that are wavering in their confidence and even been used by pastors, misused in beating the sheep up. And today, I don't want to beat you up. I want to encourage you and I want to share with you what it doesn't mean. Because what it doesn't mean is that it's contradicting other scripture. It cannot contradict other scripture. And when there seems to be a contradiction, you can rest assured that we have the wrong interpretation. So, so stay with me on this. It doesn't mean that if you mess up after having knowledge of the truth, that you're done. How do I know this? Well, just think of your own life. At nine years old, when I was saved, I had a nine-year-old knowledge. But as I grew in my knowledge, I learned more. And along the way, I have fallen many times. How about you? And God has been faithful to pick us up every single time. How do we know it doesn't mean that? Well, we know that because there's many passages in the Old Testament, including Isaiah 54. If you want to read Isaiah 54, he's talking to his, his wife or a woman that he is taking and encouraging in Isaiah 54, and that's Israel. And he's saying, I will never stop loving you even though you've been unfaithful and even though you've, you've hurt yourself and even though you've fallen away and even though you've, you've experienced so many things, I will never stop loving you and I will be there for you because he is faithful. You say, but, but how can the enemy use a passage against you. Do you not remember when Jesus was taken into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan? He tempted him with the word of God. He tried to twist the word of God on him. How so? He took him to the highest pinnacle of the temple and he said, throw yourself, prove to us your God. For the Bible says, the word says that God will guard you with his angels and nothing will be hurt on you. And Jesus says, yes, it does say that. But it also says, what? Thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. So when you study scripture, you've got to study scripture with scripture and interpret scripture with scripture. And there has to be harmony. Amen? There has to be harmony with the scripture. So does the scripture say that once you know the knowledge and you fall, you're forever out? Because I don't see that in David's life. 
Turn with me to Psalms 51. In Psalms 51, this is David. And it's not like, well, just read with me. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found, what? Just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Listen to this. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts, you will make me to know wisdom. What is he saying here? Stay with me on this. What he's saying is this. He's saying, Lord, I'm learning that you get so deep inside of me. You bring out things I didn't even know. And you use it, even my fall, you use to bring you glory. Stay, stay with me on this. Watch this. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to to hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Some of you might be saying right now, what in the world did David do? I'll tell you what he did. He was out while his men were at war. He stayed home. Idle hands make for the devil's. Yeah, you know the saying. And so he's watching and he's looking and he sees a beautiful woman. And so he takes a long first look because he knows a second look is sinful. Now, I was told that once. Someone told me, he said, Pastor, you never take a second look. That's why I always take a long first one. <laughs> I said, dude, it's your heart. Hey, man, it's your heart. You, what are you doing? So David's watching Bathsheba bathe, and he starts to think about this. He goes, but it wasn't willful. He was just out of It was willful. He had to think about it. He thought about it so much, he inquired about her. They said, yes, that's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, your mighty man. He's part of your inner circle, remember? Oh. They thought about it some more. Willful. You go, Pastor, but what's the difference between willful and unwillful? Can I tell you there is no difference? It's all willful sin. When you willfully sin after knowing the knowledge, David willfully sinned. Can I tell you there is no other kind of sin? You have to engage your will to sin. That's the way sin works. So he called for her, he committed adultery with her. Then he tries to cover up the pregnancy by lying to her husband. Then when the husband won't cooperate, he has him killed, tries to cover up all of his sin. He just keeps building more and more willful sin. And here the Holy Spirit is moving in this man's heart to say, forgive me. Why would the Holy Spirit move in a man to write something that is in contradiction to what he gave Paul? The Holy Spirit does not con contradict himself. Therefore, we know that what Paul's words are saying is not that once you have knowledge and you sin, you're done. There must be another interpretation because here, listen to what David says. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. No, no, you didn't get that. Restore to me the joy, not of my salvation, not of your salvation. God's salvation, because salvation is completely and wholly of God, said the prophet. No, 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 no. When you get that, you will erupt in your heart. Why? Because you know that you don't have to be perfect enough. God is. Salvation is of God, not of me. David is saying, my sin disqualifies me, but thank goodness, Lord, I didn't qualify for it in begin, to begin with. You did it, Lord. It's, salvation is all about you. All about you. Can, I, can, can someone be set free here today? To just smile and look. Paul talked about confidence. We'll see it in a minute. You say, oh, pastor, but that's Old Testament. What about New Testament? Do you realize it doesn't make a difference? Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus Christ came to fulfill, not abolish. Fulfill, not abolish. But if you want New Testament, let's go there. Because God's word is built precept upon precept. And here we have the precept from the beloved disciple John. In 1 John chapter 1, he says in verse 8, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Who's he writing to? It's right to the church. And he's saying, church, sin happens. Watch. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know what David was doing in his psalm? He was confessing, saying, Lord, please forgive me. Restore to me the joy, the joy of your salvation, Lord. This is all about you, God. Here, John is saying, if you sin, confess, come to the Lord, pour your heart out. Pour your heart out. He's faithful and just to what? To cleanse and to purify you. Watch, that's how the chapter ends. There's one more verse, verse 10, and then it goes into chapter two. Read the first two verses of chapter two with me of that first John epistle. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Okay, talking to the church again. We don't want you to sin. But, but if anybody does sin, why? Because sin happens. What did he just say? If you say you don't sin, you're lying you're lying so you're gonna have to confess and when you confess he's faithful and true to forgive you and watch this we have an advocate with the father this is the same thing that Paul was talking about Jesus Christ being the high priest dying once and for all tearing the veil now when you come to the throne of to the holiest of holies before the throne of grace Jesus Christ is sitting right beside the father and he intercedes for you He says there yes yes they're sincere they're washed in my blood I I speak up for him watch this We have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous one he is the anointing sacrifice. Remember the once and for all anointing sacrifice, atoning, excuse me, atoning sacrifice. Atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. 
Now, why did John say for the sins of the whole world? Because the enemy comes and he'll tell you, but no one has sinned like you. There's no way God can forgive you. And John is saying, are you kidding me? God's love is so vast, he died for the whole world. I'm talking all the abominations, all the atrocities, all the wickedness, all the perversion, all of it. He has the power to forgive it. He can handle yours. But you gotta humble yourself. What does humble mean? Humble means to say, Lord, I'm not so bad that I'm, my, my bad is badder than your good. <laughs> That's a sense of pride, isn't it? You come in there going, oh, you don't know how bad I really am. And God's going, I knew it before you were born. And not only did I cover yours, I have enough to cover the whole world. So stay with me on this. What about Peter? What about Peter? Jesus Christ told him, he gave him knowledge that he would deny him. Peter says, no, I will never do that. And Jesus goes, okay, we'll see. And then he does it once, twice, three times a lady. Yeah, that's... (laughs) Some of you are going, what in the world? That's... Kenny Rogers, anyway. He did it three times, guys. Do you want to know how how awesome Jesus is? When Jesus resurrected, he sought Peter out. He was the first one he truly sought out to have a conversation with. Why? Because it was so necessary for Peter to have confidence. Can I tell you, it's so necessary for you to have confidence. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about confidence here. Keep reading with me and we'll go back to John, 1 John chapter three. But first I wanna read to you verse 35 of chapter 10. This is after verse 26. Look at verse 26. This is the controversial verse that we're dealing with right now. But then he goes on in verse 35 and he says, so do not throw away your confidence. In chapter 10, he's talking about the sin that is unforgivable. He's talking about not being able to have forgiveness of one sin, not all, not all sins. In fact, he actually says the opposite. He said, all sins are forgiven except one. We'll talk about that sin in a second. But for the rest of us who are already forgiven, he's saying, He's saying, I need you to have confidence. And he talks about what confidence is. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. So chapter 10 happens right before chapter 11. So these thoughts go together. Watch how he connects them. He says, now faith is confidence. Confidence in what? I'm gonna use the next, the, the next version. Faith is the substance. Faith is confidence in what? in the substance of things hoped for, in the evidence of things not seen. That means, this is what it means. When you have confidence, you're gonna walk a certain way. How are you gonna walk? Let me ask you this. When your children have confidence, how do they perform in a game? When your children have confidence, how do they perform on a test? When your children have confidence, how do they perform in general? When they're insecure, how do they act? When they're insecure and they're washing dishes and you say, 
Don't you dare break that. What do they do? They break it. Do you see why God is saying you need to have confidence if you're going to walk out this faith life? This is so important for you to have confidence. And this is how confidence is built. You believe in God and you step forward in that faith. And you might only have the faith of a nine-year-old. But guess what happens over life? You are being saved. You are being sanctified. You are being made holy. That's actually what he says. Not being saved. You are being made holy. That means you are being sanctified. That means you're being made to look more and more like Jesus. As a nine-year-old, I didn't have the same confidence I have as a 48-year-old. I know more, but this is how it's worked. I walked, there was substance to my step. It produced evidence in my life, which made me feel, look, this is how it works. I tell honey who he is. Honey's my son. He doesn't really believe it, but he says, my dad says that I'm this, right? And he steps out and then he starts producing evidence to the, to the affirmative. And he says, wow, I think I have confidence to take another step. And another step, and it becomes a behavioral loop where your faith at first is just a thought, but faith without works is dead. Do you not know, brother? James says, I will show you my faith by my works. And it won't just be talking because faith by itself is not faith. And if you want real confidence, then you say, this is what I believe. I know that I believe the Lord. Therefore, I step forward in what he has commanded and what he values. And I give my life and I live by what he says. And when I live by what he says, then I have evidence to show myself, which builds more faith and more faith and more faith. Because faith begets faith. Some of you are going, okay, you're getting a little bit. I'm going to bring it back down to just plain old nitty gritty first let's deal with the sin that he is talking about the unforgivable sin it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit I can go into that completely but he's talking about there is no sacrifice for unbelief no sacrifice for unbelief how do we know this what does it mean it means the sin of unbelief go with me to Hebrews 3 because remember, Hebrews 10 is not just stuck in there. It's a part of a, of a teaching that Paul has written to the Hebrew people. Watch what he says about the sin of unbelief. Read with me. So, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. as you did in the rebellion. He's talking to the Jewish people, what rebellion? He says it right there. When God was testing you in the wilderness, you disobeyed God and you refused to believe him. You refused to believe him. Watch. Verse 12, see to it brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart and turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Encourage each other while you have time. Come together. Be a family. Watch, what else? So that you may not be what hardened in your heart by sin. Keep reading with me in verse 18. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest? 
What is his ultimate rest if not heaven? He's explaining, he's explaining how you can be disqualified from God's heavenly place, his presence. And that is to say, I don't believe in you. I'm gonna harden my heart. I don't want your sacrifice, Jesus. If you, if you deny Jesus' sacrifice, what other sacrifice do you have? He didn't send a second son. He didn't send a cousin or an it's just one son, Jesus. Watch, read it with me. He says, he says, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. You say, well, pastor, how do I know if I truly believe? How can I truly have that confidence? Well, go with me to John chapter three. Remember, John says, if you sin, he's faithful to forgive. I don't want you to sin because it hurts your confidence. But if you do sin, confess your sin, understand that you have a high priest, that he intercedes for you. But then he says this. He says, see, your faith cannot just be words. This is how you know that you really believe God. Watch this. Here, you see that word confidence? Read this with me very, very closely. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our heart at rest in his presence. If your heart condemns us, I'm gonna read it personally. If your heart condemns you, we know that God is greater than your heart. So even when you doubt, know that God loves you. Know that God is greater than even your heart. Doesn't depend on how you feel, depends on what he says. That's what it says right here. And knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before the Lord. Okay, watch, this is what he's saying. He's saying sometimes you're gonna be in a state where you need to confess. And when you're confessing to the Lord, the enemy's gonna come in and begin to have you doubt and your heart is gonna feel lousy like, like David's heart felt lousy. Come on, anyone been there? And you're not walking in a state of confidence, but you're still doing what he said he wanted you to do. And when you do what he said he wanted you to do, God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your heart. God is greater than the way you feel. His resurrection power is true. So you, you, you confess anyway. And as you walk before him, you will gain confidence. Watch this and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and do what, he please, what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by his spirit. And you know what it says? His spirit will have you love each other. And when one of you wrongs one another, you're quick to forgive. If you can't forgive, then, then you can't have confidence. I'm not here to judge you, but that's how you know that you have a believing heart. You say, I love, my, I love God and I love my family. And I don't want to stay at home. I want to come and be part of the family. And that builds confidence. Guys. That's what fellowship with Christ is. Saying, Lord, I believe you at your word. 
I believe you. I'm not going to be one of those unbelieving people. If I don't believe you, there is no more sacrifice. I have to believe you. And today is Resurrection Sunday. Lord, let all things become new. Let all things become new. I believe. So is there anyone here that once and for all wants to say, Lord Jesus, I want to profess saving, believing faith in you. I raise my hand today and I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Let's pray the prayer of salvation together. Anyone? I see hands. Anyone else? I see hands right here, right here in the middle. Anyone else? I see a hand right over here. I see another hand. I see another hand. Come on, help me encourage. I see another hand way in the back. Another one right in the back, right here. I see a hand saying, I want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that he is faithful. I know the only thing he was talking about in chapter 10, verse 26, is that there is no sacrifice that those that know the truth, but say, I don't believe. I don't believe it. Today, trust him with your faith. Believe in him. One more time. Is there anyone here? There's still time. I see another hand. I see another hand. I see another hand over here. Wow. Maybe you're here today and you have believed. But you've been wavering in your confidence because you know, you know that you're not living according to what God has called you in. You're saved but you're not walking in that confidence of a son, of a daughter. Would you rededicate your life to him and say, Lord, right here, right now, make it new. I confess my sin and you are faithful to forgive me. I see your hand, I see your hand, I see your hand. We see your hand. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, for those that are accepting you as Lord and Savior, would you pray this? Father, thank you for Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus Christ as your son. I believe unto salvation. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. In this moment, I give you everything that is me. Holy Spirit, seal me through eternity. Lord Jesus, thank you. For those that are coming back to him to walk in confidence, say, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your salvation. This salvation that I walk in, that I live in, that is everything to me is not mine, it's yours. And I am grateful. Forgive me of my sin. Today, Lord, is Resurrection Sunday. I receive forgiveness and all things have become new. I love you, Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. You are amazing. 
we celebrate together as a family. Thank you, Lord. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today and you gave your life to the Lord or you came back to the Lord to walk in confidence, would you do a favor for me? Would you take the time to sign up for discipleship or maybe you need to sign up for baptism? If that's your next step, take the next step today. Don't let it go by. I love you, church. Have a great Resurrection Sunday. Yeah.